Guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another TOEFL IBT listen. It's another Friday and another just question. That's right, people. Now, the full video, you already know, it's available on my membership. I think at some point I'm going to start selling some of the audios in a packaged way so that you don't have to buy the membership because I believe this could be sold as a course alone. This content is so high quality. I'm so excited about this one. And today we're going to talk about just questions, okay? So these are the ones, obviously, that you're going to, you, you know, it's always the, okay, what is this about? What is the main discussion of this passage or of this or of that? So there are three scenarios that I give you and then followed by three ways of figuring out how you can navigate and eliminate bad answers and understand what you're looking for. Now, this is going to be phenomenal. So to get the whole thing, obviously, there are five minutes in the beginning. There are five minutes at the end. If you want to get all of it, you make sure you follow me on the Arsenio's ESL podcast page. And I will be giving these away. Well, not necessarily. It's on the membership, the TOEFL IBT membership. But if you're looking for techniques, this is going to help you a bunch. So with that, with that being said, man, let's just dive into this. Doesn't spread much as likely very few seeds actually make it to germination. But this only explains why the tree doesn't multiply well. It does not explain why it is so rare. So, it appears that it's quite good at preserving itself as a species, but it seems that the nightcap oak does not multiply well. In fact, there's some evidence that indicates that the population of the nightcap oak has remained stable over the last several hundred years. We can rule out it being a remnant of some huge population that's dwindled in the last few hundred years, and that its species is in retreat. So what we know is that the species doesn't multiply well or easily, but it can maintain itself, and that it's not endangered, just rare. Okay, not endangered, just rare. So here we go. All right, let's break some of these down. Now, obviously, it's a very rare tree. It grows in Australia. It talks, it gives a little background reference, okay? Uh, it's been, what, 200, uh, 200 in existence right now. They grow in the rainforest uh, forest in the northern part of Australia, all right? It's very similar to ancient species of tree that had, had existed about 100 million years ago, okay? So the fossils, um, they kind of look primitive. Okay, then it started talking about their pictures. He showed some pictures. Why can't they spread? Um, it's because one reason is because there are rat species that feeds on it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily rare because of that rat species, right? It's because there are very few seeds that make it to germination. Okay, and it just doesn't multiply. Stable over the last hundred years, meaning that it's not in danger, but it's just very rare. All right. So let's break down this audio. Let's look at the question here. The question says, what are the main things about the nightcap oak that the professor discussed? The main things that it discusses. Okay, by looking at my, uh, looking at my notes, it talks about obviously the reason why it's so rare. And uh, well, I guess you could say what feasts on it, but it's the main reason and it's because it's rare. And that's what I wrote down at the very top here and then i wrote it down over here because it was mentioned all right and then it talks about some specific details too there's like a development so a it says factors about the size of the area where it grows it does not talk about that now he did say hectares i do believe he said that but it wasn't it's not 
the main thing, right? B, its population over the last few hundred years, okay? Is that, is that one of the main things? Is it C, what can be done to ensure its survival? You didn't give any suggestions. And D, why it hasn't changed much over the last 100 million years. So let's break this down, okay? Now, use these techniques. Obviously, consider the main purpose, all right? Now, during the audio, obviously, you're going to take the notes, just as I did, so you have more of an idea. Now, number two, highlight the topic key sentences. So let's say descriptive adjectives, matching words, such as what I did at the very beginning, rare. Over here, rare. It talks about it being rare again. So I have a very good idea of why it's so rare. It's not in danger. It's rare because this happens and this happens, right? And then, as an example, the lecture introduces a tree to the class and then poses two questions about it. Why is it so rare? How it reproduces and spreads? Then that's when he got one of the students involved. Now, if we look here, the adjective rare refers to the very low population of the tree, right? Therefore, the rarity, what I had written down of the population, is one of the central themes, okay? And its location of reproduction could potentially be a second thing, right? Because he gave the location, Australia, Northern Australia. He talks about the habitat meets special re uh, requirements. Uh, it's a fruit encased in a hard shell. You know, uh, there's this, there's that. So he goes on to speak about that even more. Now, if you missed this point in the audio, okay, the professor and the student continue to discuss the difficulty in regards to the germination. Now, if you missed it at the very beginning, there's always a way that you can hurry up and get back at it. Hell, I actually got sidetracked and I was like, da 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 And I, I said, oh man, I think I missed some notes here, you know, because I was looking off at the sky that is no longer dark and no longer going to strike upon me with great vengeance. All right, so here we go. Going back into it. There are limited areas to where it grows, right? And then obviously the suitable habitat. Rainforest is much vaster than the few hectares in which the nightcap oak grows. Now, even towards the end, okay, it talks about there are ongoing references to the small population of the tree. And again, me reiterating for the third time, it's not that it's in danger, it's that it's rare for a couple of reasons. So, eliminate the bad answers okay now the answer obviously i put both a and b now c is evidently wrong so let's go back up to c okay i'm breaking this down what can be done to ensure it's survival like i said there were no suggestions given all right now let's look at d it's trickier right because although there are references to fossils and the old history of this type of tree we never learn or hear that it has changed and there is no direct reference to this point during the audio all right so if we look here what are we going to go with i put a or b factors about the size of the area where it grows and obviously its population over the last hundred years now what i wanted to trick you with is because some people they don't read the question all the way through and they would think that this is just a single answer but here it says select two answers now i left that out inconveniently and conveniently <laughs> because i wanted to make sure that sometimes you could potentially miss out on points that are so easy to get just by not reading the entire question so that's why i put that there it says select two answers now Normally, what I would do is say, okay, I could find the two bad answers right here. 
What can be done to ensure its, its survival? No, it doesn't talk about suggestions. How come it hasn't changed much over the last 100 million years? It's not about it changing. It's about how come the population hasn't risen and it doesn't talk about the last 100 million years. It's talking about the scarcity and why there are so little of them. So I would quickly hurry up and get rid of D, leaving A and B. Get what I mean? So the details are everything. We're going to do another one. All right. We're going to go back down. I'm going to hurry up and make sure. Okay. And if you need to read over and hear this again, do so. We're going to listen to behaviorism. All right. I'm going to go to the second page so we could have enough room. I'm going to throw this one up. Get your pen or pencil out. Get that piece of paper, whatever you are taking notes on, and get ready to rock and roll, people. Remember, this is the last one, but then you'll have one for yourself all by yourself. Three, two, and one. If you recall, last time we talked about the founder of behaviorism, John Watson. Like other psychologists, he believed that psychologists should study only the behaviors that they could observe and measure, because he believed that we can't hear or witness people's thoughts, nor can we verify the accuracy of people's descriptions of their thoughts, so basically we can't study mental processes. So, the only way to study mental processes is to observe muscular habits, which John Watson felt are a manifestation of the act of thinking. Now, one specific type of muscular habit he studied is referred to as laryngeal habits. Laryngeal habits, from the larynx related to the voice box, Watson believed were a measurable expression of one's thinking. He claimed that for very young children, thinking is really talking out loud to oneself because they talk out loud even if they're not trying to communicate with someone in particular. As we grow up, we don't do that anymore, but thinking still shows up as a laryngeal habit. In fact, it has been found by putting electrodes on the throat and measuring muscle potential that muscular activity in the throat region does increase when people are trying to solve a problem, and this supports Watson's claim. Now, while I'm speaking, notice how the muscles in my throat are responding as I think about what I'm going to say next. So, you can see how Watson viewed muscle activity as indicative of thinking. William James coined a concept that is related to Watson's called idiomotor action. The definition is a motor activity that happens without one's noticing it or being aware of it. Let me give you a basic example of idiomotor action. Think about the university's library from where you're sitting. Do your eyeballs move slightly to the left in the general direction of the library? Theoretically, when thinking about a location in relation to where you currently are, some small eye movement should occur. It's called idiomotor action because... Here I am, people. Yes, I have interrupted the audio. That means it is the end. There's an additional 12 minutes to this, okay? Piled on top of the 9 minutes in just over 50 seconds. And if you are interested in everything, I'm talking in regards to all of it, the additional 10 minutes that are going to help you, you let me know, okay? Because, again, TOEFL listening courses and different things are going to be coming out. Uh, on top of, obviously, the membership that I help people with on a routine basis. And this caters to a lot of different markets. So, with that being said, people, I'm so grateful to have all of you here listening to me today. If you liked it, make sure you rate me on the Apple Podcast Store. Go to my ESL podcast page. Read out, re oh, reach out to me, and I'll be seeing you guys in the next one. Over and out.